Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Micah chapter 4, beginning at the first verse. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples, and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more. Every man will sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods. We will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. The second reading is from Revelation chapter 21, which is on page 1249. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Well, good morning. It's very good to have you with us here on Remembrance Sunday. And uh, if you can, please do turn back to that first reading from Micah chapter 4, which you can find on page 932 of the Pew Bibles. There is a certain narrative around in the world today. I think it is the predominant narrative, and it goes something like this. In the past, our world was a a broken place full of uh, war and, and hardship, but through time, with the right education, with the right political leadership, the right economic models, and the right partnerships, our world is gradually, steadily getting better and better. We're not there yet, but with a bit more time, our world will grow up. The human race will find its adulthood and will be a people of peace and prosperity. There is something to that narrative when we think about the 
um, technology around us. Uh, we do see steady improvements in size and speed and scale. Think of when you um, buy a new Apple iPhone and you unbox it, the, the number of your new phone is always higher than the old phone because the new phone is bigger and better and faster. And technology is changing our world, often in wonderful ways. So you can understand why many people think today is better than yesterday and that tomorrow will be better than today. That is the narrative of the world we live in. But what about when it comes to matters of war and peace? See, many people believe that when it comes to matters of war and peace, our world is gradually getting better and growing up, and one day war will be a thing of the past. We just need more time. And in the past, that was certainly the case in terms of people's thinking. They called it the war to end all wars because there was a great hope that through this war in the past, peace would come forever. They called it the Great War because the thought that another war could come in the future that was even worse was unthinkable. It's a very attractive narrative to think that our world will get better with time. It might be true for iPhones, but when it comes to matters of war and peace, the the narrative does not fit the facts. As we know in history, After the war to end all wars, some 30 years later, there was an even more deadly war, the Second World War. Despite the great enlightenment of the 19th and 20th century with all the educational reforms and political changes, the 20th century was the deadliest, one of the deadliest in history. And according to the Institute of Economics and Peace, this last year, there were only 10 nations in the entire world that wasn't in some way at war with another nation, whether internally or externally. Only 10. And so on this Remembrance Sunday, the narrative that most people in our world are living with is a narrative which does not match reality. That with time and extra education, this world is not becoming more peaceful and more stable. And so this morning, we are going to look at a better story a better narrative, a narrative which promises us a glorious, peaceful, global future where our world is put right. But it is a narrative which does not rely on human effort and human wisdom, but rather it relies on the one great and glorious plan of the one true God, the Lord himself. It's a story we find described for us in the book of Micah. If you've been coming with us week by week, you'll know that we're doing a series on the book of Micah. We've jumped out of step in our series to get to chapter four this morning because it's so relevant for us on this Remembrance Sunday. Micah was a prophet who spoke God's word to God's people back in the eighth century BC. And he spoke at a time when the people of God were enjoying a season of tremendous peace and prosperity. And you can imagine their narrative back then. Oh, we've grown up. We've made it. Eternal peace is here to stay. But Micah speaks into a time when the world falls apart for the people of God as the great Assyrian empire from the north swoops down and destroys the nation. A time of great warfare and bloodshed. And into that moment in history, Micah speaks a better story. A better story for the people back then, but for us today as we go on living in a world torn apart by warfare and bloodshed, here is a better story to live our lives by. 
And so as we look at Micah 4 this morning on this Remembrance Sunday, here's our first point. Remember the true horror of war. Our reading from Micah chapter 4, if you've been listening as it was read, it's a reading full of a glorious feature. It's a wonderful picture of a world put right where swords are turned into plowshares, where no one is left afraid. And we'll think much more about that world in just a moment. But look at how our reading begins. Micah 4 verse 1. In the last days, this is what the world will be like. In other words, Micah 4 is talking about a future event. It's the event that we heard described for us in our second reading from Revelation 21 when Christ returns and every tear is taken away. But in Micah's day, this picture of the world put right is a future promise, not a present reality. He speaks to a people whose world is falling apart as the Assyrians slaughter and destroy. And we can only understand how precious Micah chapter 4 is when we understand how terrible the background to the people was back in that day. In Micah, we've been seeing these last few weeks that uh, war is truly horrible. It was unexpected for the people of uh, Israel back then. Remember, they were enjoying a time of peace and prosperity. They thought all was going to be well, stretching off into the future. And then almost out of the blue come the Assyrians. And isn't it so often the case that even today we think that we are beyond war that our our peace is secure, and then suddenly out of the blue something happens to tear our world apart. I remember uh, years ago now when I was um, was with a bunch of friends, I remember very clearly that um, we were heading out to play frisbee in the park, just a bit of fun with some friends. And then one of my friends came running up to me, his face was was ashen, and he said, guys, you've got to come and look at this. And he took us into the TV screen, and we watched as the two twin towers were on fire, and before our eyes, they both collapsed. It was horrific, and in that moment, on a typical day, we were talking with one another. We realized that America and her allies were now at war, just in one morning. And uh, at times in history, the storm clouds of war can build up slowly over years, and that brings its own kind of terror. But often, war is unexpected, out of our control, and we don't see it coming, And that is part of the horror of war. It hangs over us, the threat that at any point our security can be taken away. We have no guarantee that tomorrow, next year, and in 10 years' time that we'll be at peace. So Micah reminds us that war can be unexpected, but also Micah reminds us that war is devastating. Back in chapter 1, when Micah looks forward to the events of the Assyrian army, he talks about how, verse 9, the wounds that will come will be incurable. It says, verse 8, that he weeps and wails. He goes around barefoot and naked. He howls like a jackal because he understands what's coming and he, he knows that war is horrible. If you read through the account of Micah, what does happen when war comes? You find mighty cities reduced to rubble, lush vineyards turned to dust bowls. You find families being torn apart as parents weep for children. You find people killed, bloodshed everywhere, and uh, people led off in captivity. And so Micah would have us remember the true horror of war. And I say that because if we live 
with a narrative which says that our world is gradually getting better all by itself, then we'll do everything we can to suppress the horror of war. Because we want the world to be getting better. We don't want to have to engage with how bad the world is. We turn off the news. We don't read the articles. We don't read the blogs and the updates because we can't cope with how bad war is when it comes. But Micah will have none of it. Remember the true horror of war. I remember watching the first 10 minutes of that film, Saving Private Ryan. It's been out some time now, but if you have seen the first 10 minutes, then it will stick with you because it describes the moment when the Allies land on the beach in D-Day and as the boats land and the, the bow of the boat drops onto the beach and the troops are exposed to the horror on the beach, well, it's a scene that's just beyond almost imagination. And yet those who have been through war tell me that that picture is no exaggeration of what war is like. And so we would do well with Micah and with films like Saving Private Ryan to remember the true horror of war. Of course, as we remember the horror of war, we would be right to be thankful for those who are willing to go to war to secure our peace. This last week marked the 100th anniversary of the ending of the Battle of Passchendaele, you know that the terrible events of Passchendaele from end of July through to November 1917, there was a terrible battle between the Allies and the Germans. Um, days and days of bloodshed. At times, just a few yards won and lost back and forth. And through the course of the whole battle, some 250,000 Allied troops were killed. And as we understand the horror of war, we should be incredibly grateful for their sacrifice to secure our peace. You may have heard the story of Lance Corporal Joshua Leakey more recently. Uh, He was in Helmand Province back in 2013 on a routine mission, on a patrol. And as he was out with his patrol, he encountered uh, another friendly patrol that had been caught by an ambush. They were under heavy fire from the enemies. They were pinned down on a hillside with no cover. And um, Lance Corporal Leakey had had a choice to make. He could have just walked away He wasn't himself in danger, but he chose at great peril on a number of occasions to run. At one point, 200 meters across open ground with a heavy machine gun and ammunition um, in the face of uh, fire from the enemy um, to set up a a, a point of um, covering fire back to rescue the men, several times running back and forth, risking his life, facing great terror. And his bravery actually saved the lives of some 20 men. He was awarded the Victoria Cross for his bravery, and we should remember people like him, for they experienced horror in the face of war. And yet, even as we are thankful for the sacrifice of many, and we must be thankful, the true horror of war drives us to long for lasting peace, doesn't it? Because war and terror remain And even the sacrifices of many have not taken away that threat from our world. And so our second point from Micah, um, focusing more on chapter four now, remember the blessing of true peace. For people who are very aware of the horror of war, the words that come next in Micah chapter four are sweet words indeed. Verse three, they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. 
this year, the UK government will spend 45 billion pounds on defense, but a day is coming when not a penny will be spent. The most common weapon in warfare, I'm told today, is the AK-47 rifle. Estimates vary about how many are in use at the moment, but many say around 100 million weapons are available and in use. But a day is coming when every single AK-47 will be melted down and used as a hedge trimmer, for there'll be no more warfare. Micah is at pains to show us how wonderful this peace will be. Notice that it is global peace. Verse 1. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and peoples will stream to it. I have in my mind um, a picture of a a stadium before a great event. Um, Think of London 2012 and the Olympics. Imagine just before a big night of competition, the scenes of thousands of people streaming to the stadium to enjoy this event together. But look at Micah chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. People will be streaming to the mountain, but on a scale that's far, far bigger than anything we've ever seen before. Verse 2, many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Or verse 3, He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. Nation will not take up sword against nation. This isn't a a local peace between a couple of people. It is global peace, the world put right. And when we think about this last year, only 10 countries are currently at peace out of the whole world. What a day it'll be in the future when the whole globe, all nations are at peace with one another. What a thought that will be. Notice also, it's a real peace. Please don't have a picture in your mind of what the Christian hope is for the future where we are somehow disembodied spirits simply floating around some sort of spiritual worlds. No, the promise here at Micah 4 is very real and tangible. We see this because Micah talks about there being many nations. I think that this world will be as it is now, but renewed and changed, just as there are nations now, so there'll be nations then in the new creation. Or notice verse 4, how there will be vines and fig trees in this new creation. There'll be cultivation to be getting busy with and things to care for and there'll be fruit to enjoy. Very practical. This is real, this promise of peace in the future. Notice also it is personal peace. Verse four talks about each man enjoying his own vine and own fig tree. This is global. This is for every nation but the individual will not be lost in the crowd. Every person matters. And it's a wonderful thought that in God's new creation, there'll be a place for each one of us, our own private area where we can grow stuff and enjoy the fruits of our harvest. I'm no gardener, but um, I gather it takes time to grow vines and to grow a fig tree. It doesn't happen overnight. And uh, one of the things about warfare we have seen pictures on the TV screen. Think of Raqqa or Mosul. 
after years of conflict and you see the kind of gutted city and all you see is dust and grayness everywhere. There's no life. War destroys life. You haven't got time to plant and water and cultivate, but in the new creation, there'll be enough time for all of that. There'll be no disruption, no destruction. There'll be life. There'll be um, growth. Um, when I was at school, I, I was involved at one point in the cadets, and uh, I remember we went on a 24-hour expedition, a hike overnight, and uh, we had a bivouac um, out in the stars, and we were also given a, a 24-hour ration pack to get us through. And um, if you ever had a ration pack, it's just dried food, dried biscuits, dried milk, dried um, instant food. And it's, um, it's pretty disgusting, but you, it, it keeps you going. Um, I guess that's what, that's what war is like. But in God's new creation, we know sort of dried biscuits. There'll be fruit and vegetables and variety and life, figs and grapes. And notice also it's, it's a lasting peace. Verse four, sorry, verse three, nor will they train for war anymore. In this vision of the future, there'll be no Sandhurst or West Point. There'll be no more cadets or training camps because there'll be no need to train up the next generation for the possibility of the threat of war because there just won't be ever in the future. And what a world that will be. I heard an interview last week with the journalist Sean Langan. Um, back in 2008, Sean had been um, in Afghanistan and on the border with Pakistan doing some journalistic work and he was kidnapped by the Taliban. And for 10 weeks, he was uh, held captive in one of their training camps way up in the hills in the Pakistan border. And uh, throughout the interview, he described how harrowing it was to be kidnapped by the Taliban, how he feared for his life under constant threat, as you can imagine. And at one point, he was asked by the interviewer if he had ever considered trying to escape because it was so desperate. And he said, very simply, what was the point in trying to escape? You've got to understand, he said, that I was held captive by one particular training camp, and I might have found a way to get out of that camp, but I was being held in an area that was riddled with training camps. If I had escaped the one, I would have been caught by the next one, or the next one, or the next one. You see, the whole area in that part of the world is just filled with people plotting and planning violence. And of course, one of the problems with the war and terror today is how do you defeat an enemy like that where it's so entrenched in the culture? where there are training camps everywhere. But a day is coming, says Micah, when there will be no more training camps, no more terror, no more war. Micah 4, verse 3. And so Micah would say to us this morning, remember the blessing of true peace. Of course, in Micah's day, he didn't enjoy that peace. Remember, he lived during the great assault of the Assyrians. He lived only through bloodshed and terror. And today, as we look around the world, we live in times that are far from peaceful. And Micah's hope remains our hope, longing for a world like this. And we're bound to wonder, how will our world be taken from what it is now to the world of Micah chapter four? And that's our final point. Remember the source of true peace. You see, Micah 4, unlike the narrative so many people live with today, Micah is very clear that peace won't just happen. It won't just 
um, come through us growing up as a human race or through better communication or more technology or better education or, or better leadership. No, Micah is very clear that peace will only come one way. You see, verse three does describe a wonderful world. End of verse three, a world where swords are turned to plowshares and spears and the pruning hooks. But notice how that world comes to pass and the beginning of verse three tells us, he will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. This world will only be put right when a judge comes who has a big enough reach to judge all nations and enough power to judge even strong nations. And only when that kind of judge comes will the world be put to right. And the idea of the world being put to right isn't just a decision being made, a verdict announced, but it's also an idea of action, that the world will actually be put right, justice will actually be done. And who can do this judging? Well, it is the Lord himself, the one true God of the Bible. And Micah 4 is a picture of what will happen when Christ returns and he judges the nations. And it is a day when peace comes at last. In Northern Ireland, over the last few years, it's been wonderful to see how there's been great progress made towards peace. It is a very fine thing indeed. But if you know the dynamics taking place at all in Northern Ireland, you know that it is very complicated Because on one hand, politicians talk about the need to aim for peace and to forget wrongdoing done in the past, to be friends, not enemies. But if your husband was murdered or if your kneecaps were blown off and a politician says, let's forget the wrongs done, let's just focus on peace, you scream out for justice. And as we look around the world today and we hear about atrocities and war crimes and dictators and violence being done, we know that peace can only properly come when there is justice, when a judge rules properly in this world. And the kind of peace we long for is not an ignoring of the wrongdoings, but a dealing with the wrongdoings. And that is the great news of Micah chapter 4, that one day just such a judge will come. When the cry for justice goes up to the throne, he hears and he brings peace through justice. And this is good news. This is what our world needs, a judge like King Jesus. But as I come to a close, there is a challenge for each one of us because Micah is very clear and indeed the whole Bible is very clear that the problem of evil is not a problem that's simply out there beyond the doors in the big world. The problem of evil is much closer to home. It is, in fact, in here, inside each human heart. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says very shockingly that it's not just the murderers who will be judged, but in fact, anyone who is angry with his brother will also be judged by King Jesus when he returns. And when we look at the kind of heart which fuels war, a a, a heart that grabs for power and status or a heart that covets and is greedy, a heart that is lacking in love for neighbor, and then we look at our own hearts, we realize that the same moves are happening in our relationships today. Maybe not with the same disastrous consequences, but who here today can say that we do not desire power or covet other things or lack love for our neighbor 
And yet Micah says there is a day coming when the whole world, including each one of us, will be judged for our hearts and our actions. And so Micah chapter 4 is also a sobering chapter when we hear about the judge who is to come. But there is wonderful news because when Christ comes as judge, it is his second coming, not his first coming. And Micah will tell us about a baby who will come and be born in Bethlehem, the baby of Christmas, Christ himself, who on his first coming came not to judge the world, but to die for the world. And there will be many people here today who have built your life on the offer of forgiveness that comes through Christ, that as he died on the cross, he took God's judgment onto himself, that all who trust in him would never have to face that judgment. But as I speak, there may be some here today who have never understood the judgment to come. Maybe you've never understood that there is an offer uh, from Christ to die in your place to receive forgiveness. If you want to be part of this future world of peace, a world put right, there is only one way. It is through trusting in Jesus. And um, if you want to find out more, I'd love to speak to you afterwards. I've got a little booklet that explains more about how to remember Christ properly. And do come and say hello. But as I finish, here's the application for each one of us. Look at verse five. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods. We will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. Here is Micah's present day conclusion. He doesn't yet experience this world put right, but what does he do now in the present? He will walk in the name of the Lord. Look at the nations around us. and Very few people are. Uh, most people in the world around us are walking in the name of other gods, trusting in other things to put the world to rights. And um, it may be other gods um, in terms of religion, but it may just be gods of stuff and things that people are trusting in to put this world to rights. Um, the god of um, a big bank account, a god of um, wise politicians, the god of campaigning for better cooperation, or the god of education. But Mike is very clear, there is only one God who can save the world and put it to rights, the Lord, the God of the Bible. And so because of what he'll do then, let's make sure now we walk trusting in him and not in any other God. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for these moments when we take time to be careful about how we remember. We do thank you, Father, for the sacrifice of many who gave their lives to secure our peace in the present. And as we remember the horror of war, Father, thrill us once again with this promise of a world put right. And Father, please help us today to be a people who go on walking with the Lord alone, confident that his story, the story of the Bible, is the one story that will put this world to rights. Give us confidence. Give us security. And even when our world is rocked by war and violence, may our trust in his plan never be shaken. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.